You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. If you would, um, go ahead and turn now into your Bibles uh, to the book of Hebrews. Uh, We are going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14 this morning. Uh, We've been doing a short sermon series called City on a Hill, where we've been looking at all of the strategies that the Bible gives us to be like a city set on a hill that is shining the light of the gospel down into the darkness of our communities. As a church, we've summarized those core strategies. We put them in a short statement, and we said that we wanted to be a church that is knowing, growing, and going together. So two weeks ago, we looked at the idea of what it looks like to both know the Lord and to make him known. And since the Bible says that God is light, we looked at Jesus's sermon on the mount to see what it means for God to be light and what it means for us to reflect that light. Uh, Then last week, I was on vacation Uh, So I was very grateful that you all had the opportunity to hear from Josh Thrower, uh, who grew up in this very church. So I hope you were blessed by what he preached on in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, But now today, we're going to go back into our series. We're looking at the second part of that strategy statement. Uh, We want to be a church that not only knows God, but we also want to be a church that is growing in our relationship with God. We want to both know and grow. And I know a lot of people, when they think about growing, uh, they think about numerical growth, i.e. growing in our number of people, uh, in the number of butts that are in the pews, Um, And that can obviously be a part of growing, uh, but the focus of these verses that we're studying isn't about growing in our numbers as much as it is about uh, growing in our maturity, uh, the maturity of our faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, So let me pray for our time together and then read uh, the scripture for today. Uh, Father, I just pray that you would use your Holy Spirit this morning. Uh, Just to open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say. Uh, Show us, Father, what it means to grow in our maturity. Uh, Let us see what Christian maturity looks like from a whole new perspective this morning. Uh, Help us just to see what it means to grow in our relationship with you and just reveal these truths in ways that, that we have maybe never even seen before, Father. I ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, hear from the word of the Lord this morning, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is the word of the Lord. I want to start this morning by asking a question. 
uh, one that many of you probably already have an opinion on one way or another. But the question is, um, is the church today more or less at risk by the presence of spiritually mature Christians than it was in previous generations? So overall, uh, is the church as a whole, so I'm talking about the global church, is it growing in spiritual maturity with each passing generation? Uh, or is spiritual immaturity becoming a greater plague in a way that wasn't experienced by previous generations? Are we evolving and growing more and more in our faith? Or is the church getting ready to uh, devolve and take a step back in maturity as we hand off the reins to new generations? Now, the answer to that question uh, for me is simply we'll have to wait and see. You know, until those reins are handed off and that baton is passed along, we'll never really know. Uh, but I do know that there are a lot of older saints who wonder and worry about their children and their grandchildren and their uh, great-grandchildren. Uh, they worry about the increasing temptations and pressures uh, from our society. Um, and they wonder, rightfully so, if the faith of those new generations will be mature and strong enough to stand up against all of the, the increased opposition and persecution that they're going to face. But instead of wondering whether or not spiritual immaturity will soon become an increasing problem, I think there's perhaps a, a better question that we could be asking, um, and that's, has spiritual immaturity ever not been a problem in the church? Has there ever been any generation since the conception of the church where this has not been a pressing issue? And the answer to that question, uh, which I actually think is a more helpful and insightful question to be asking, uh, the answer to that is a resounding no. No, there has never been any generation, nor will there ever be any generation, where there isn't the presence of spiritually immature Christ followers. Um, baby Christians, those who may look older in appearance, but are who are still uh, infants in the faith. Uh, they will always be a hindrance to the cause of Christ. Uh, there are many Christians I know today who wonder why so many other Christians are just weak in their faith. And uh, they wonder uh, why so many people say they love Jesus, but they have no idea how to study their own Bibles. And they wonder where are all of the bold Peters and Pauls of the faith who were mature in their faith and who are willing to stand firm for Jesus, even in the midst of intense persecution. They wonder, you know, where did all of those kinds of Christians disappear to? And those are all important questions to, to wonder about, but they're not new questions. This is an issue that even the author of Hebrews uh, had to deal with in the early church, in that first generation of believers. And this is the issue that he is actually trying to address in the passage today. Verse 12, he's looking at all of these so-called Christians around him, and he says, by now you ought to be teachers, 
Yet, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. So, every generation has struggled with the existence of Christians who uh, are stuck on a diet of spiritual milk when they ought to be eating solid foods like steak. But, but instead of just focusing on the prevalence of this problem, the real question we should be asking is, what is the solution? How do we fix this issue? And what are the remedies that the author of Hebrews provides for us? So what I want to do this morning is lay out the proposed solution as articulated in our text I want to give you the main idea that the author is trying to convey here, um, and then I have some practical applications that I want you to consider in light of that. And the main idea of this passage is very simple. Um, It's that only obedience can lead to wisdom. Only obedience can lead to wisdom. In other words, knowledge alone doesn't lead to spiritual maturity or wisdom, but obedience does. And if you get that confused, uh, you will end up wasting so much of your life until you get that figured out. You'll want to grow in your maturity as a Christian, but you'll be frustrated when you feel that growth is being stunted You have to realize that you don't become obedient after you become wise. Rather, you become wise after becoming obedient. That's what the author is getting at. So to start with, I want to uh, give you a very common but wrong way um, in which you, you may have heard these verses taught. Uh, The author says that his audience still needs milk uh, when they ought to be moving uh, on to solid food. And one way in which many interpret these verses to mean is by saying, well, we ought to just bring out the spiritual stake. You know, if those who are spiritually immature are subsiding on this meager diet of spiritual milk, well, then we ought to thaw out the deeper truths of God's word to meditate on. You know, we need to find the ribeyes and the the T-bone cuts of meat in the Bible, and we just need to feast on those truths so that we can grow some spiritual muscles. And this sounds like a great idea. Uh, But I just want you to think about this for just a moment. Um, What would happen if you actually did give an infant, one who doesn't even have any teeth yet, what would happen if you gave them a full-sized T-bone steak for their consumption? Uh, It was my wife's uh, birthday just the other week, and for the occasion, I grilled up the thickest cut of steak Uh, that I could buy from the meat locker over in LaBelle. Uh, We sat at our dining room table to eat it, and the entire time I can remember my nine-month-old daughter just eyeing our food. I mean, she was reaching for it. She was drooling. She knew that what we were eating was far better than that pureed baby food that we had been feeding her. So, So what do you suppose would have happened if I had just placed a... A fork and a steak knife in her hands, and I just plopped a steak 
right down in front of her, and I just told her to go to town. Well, I can tell you exactly what would have happened. Uh, my wife would have slapped me, uh, and, and rightfully so, for giving our nine-month-old daughter a knife. Uh, but if somehow she had even been able to, to somehow get a part of that steak into her mouth, the only thing that would have ended up happening would she would have ended up choking on it. Uh, her hands don't have the dexterity needed to use the knife to cut her food into smaller pieces. Uh, she doesn't have the teeth that she needs to chew the food up. Um, and that's not even to mention that babies before a certain age, uh, their digestive systems aren't even capable of handling foods other than their mother's milk. And so the author of Hebrews is trying to tell you that solid food doesn't make you mature. Rather, solid food is for the mature. You don't hand steaks to babies and say, here, eat this and you'll grow up to be strong. Rather, if you see somebody sitting at a table and they're eating a porterhouse, well, that's a pretty good in indicator that they're not an infant. And the same is true in our spiritual lives. When somebody first uh, submits their life to Jesus, I mean, if we just pulled them straight out of those baptismal waters and I just handed them a, a stack of my seminary textbooks and I said, here, go read about predestination and the doctrine of election. Uh, or if I said, hey, let me talk to you about the high priesthood of Christ who is in the order of Melchizedek, which is actually what the author of Hebrews was talking about uh, right before we got to our verses. You know, if I, if I said all of those things uh, to somebody who is such a new believer, well, we shouldn't be surprised when they choke in response. Verse 13 says that for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. We shouldn't be surprised when those who are unskilled in the word choke a bit when we try to feed them the deeper doctrines of the faith. Because they've not yet developed enough to be able to handle it. But even more than that, the author of Hebrews is saying that actually loading somebody down with all kinds of knowledge, that's not even the best way for them to reach spiritual maturity in the first place. Because the ability to feast on solid food is a sign of maturity, not a means to maturity. So thinking about all of this, I want to walk you through uh, three applications of this text uh, three different ways that we could apply these verses to our lives. And the first is this. Uh, and it's that drinking milk for a season is fine, but don't make it a staple in your life. Drinking milk for a season is fine, but don't make it a staple in your life. Now, all babies go through a stage when milk is all they are able to handle, and that's fine. Uh, but if you ran into a fully grown adult on the streets uh, and they had never moved beyond eating or drinking anything, then milk, you'd probably refer them to a doctor. You'd say there is something seriously and fundamentally wrong with them. You'd wonder whether or not they were malnourished. 
But how many Christians do we have sitting in the pews of our churches every Sunday who have that very same problem at a spiritual level? I mean, they understand the bare bone basics of the Christian faith. They understand that Jesus is God uh, and that Jesus came to earth and he lived the perfect life and he died for their sins. But if you start talking about anything deeper than that, I mean, their brows just start to furrow and they get very confused very quick. So let me just ask uh, a couple of diagnostic questions for you this morning, just to see where you're at today, uh, to see if, if this is you or not. Uh, first question, ask yourself, how much are you learning directly from the Bible itself versus indirectly learning from what others have learned from the Bible? Now, how much time do you personally spend reading the Word of God on your own? And how much time do you spend listening to others talk about the Bible on the radio or the TV? Because if the majority of your interactions with God's Word come filtered through someone else, well, that's a sign that you are struggling to feed yourself. It, you're, you're relying on the spoon-fed puree that somebody else is giving you, rather than just going straight to the source to eat the solid food on your own. It's a sign that you're living on highly processed uh, spiritual fast food that somebody else keeps giving you, rather than just going and firing up the grill to cook a gourmet meal on your own. Um, let me ask you a second question as well. Um, how much of the Bible are you able to stomach at any given time? You know, what is your appetite for Scripture? Uh, when you read the Bible on your own, can you handle uh, entire passages and whole uh, chapters? Or do you get tired after just a single verse or two? Because that's the problem that the original audience of the book of Hebrews was facing. Uh, just before our text, the author complains uh, that his readers have grown dull of hearing. They have quickly gotten tired and bored uh, with the word of God. And all of that's not to say that there isn't immense spiritual wisdom to be found in a single verse. You know, you certainly can. Um, it's not to say that reading larger chunks of scripture uh, will always automatically gain you more wisdom than smaller selections of verses. You know, more isn't always better. Uh, but from time to time, you should seriously gauge your appetite for God's word. I mean, if on any given day, you can just subside on a single verse or, or no scripture at all, well, that's probably a sign that you are still sipping on milk rather than gobbling down a fully prepared feast. It's probably a sign that you are spiritually malnourished and spiritually immature. So drinking milk for a season, it's fine, but don't make it a staple in your life. But then there's a second application that I want you to see as well, and it's this. If you struggle with knowledge, the root problem may be a lack of obedience. 
if you struggle with knowledge, the root problem may actually be a lack of obedience. Uh, Just look at verse 14 for a second. Uh, He writes that solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Uh, There was a a pastor from Minnesota, uh, John Piper, who was immensely helpful in just giving me a better understanding of this verse. Um, He said that getting ready to feast on all of God's word, and it's not first an intellectual challenge, it is first a moral challenge. If you want to learn how to feast on solid food, it's not about more knowledge, it's about more obedience. You you have to grow in your capacity to be able to distinguish good from evil. So just listen uh, to what John Piper goes on to say about this. He says that the startling truth is that if you stumble over some of the deeper doctrines, it may be because you watch questionable TV programs. If you stumble over the doctrine of election, it may be because you still use some shady business practices. If you stumble over the God-centered work of Christ on the cross, it may be because you love money and spend too much and give too little. He says that the pathway to maturity and to solid biblical food is not first becoming an intelligent person, but first becoming an obedient person. What you do with alcohol and sex and money and leisure and food and computer have more to do with your capacity for solid food than where you go to school or what books you read. So often, we we think only in terms of needing more knowledge in order to be more obedient. You know, you have to know all of the rules before you can obey all of the rules. But John Piper is reminding us that the opposite is actually true. If you want to grow in your knowledge and in your understanding, you must first grow in your obedience. And if you lack knowledge and if you lack understanding, well, that could signify a lack of obedience in your life. Let me just use my kids as another sermon illustration to show you what I mean. Um, Any parent who is I've been a parent of a child old enough to talk uh, and to be able to ask the question why. Those parents know that a go-to saying for every mom and dad is, because I said so. I mean, sometimes I know we as parents, uh, we run to that statement probably too quickly, maybe too often. uh, But many times that is quite an appropriate response. And often a parent knows more about a situation than their child does. There are more factors involved. The situation is more complex than the child has the ability to comprehend. And so oftentimes the parents really do need to rely on just telling their child, because I said so. Because there's either not enough time to elaborate further or because the child, you know, maybe they don't have that developmental capacity yet to understand the explanation, even if it were offered to them. So when I tell my son, for example, that it's time to brush his teeth and go to bed, he often doesn't understand why. And he always asks me why he has to do what I say. But the more he's Uh, the more he obeys what he's told, uh, even in those moments when he fully doesn't understand, uh, 
the more he will able to come to understand the wisdom of his parents' decisions. You know, the more he'll be able to trust in his parents and that they have the best interests for his heart, and the more he'll come to understand that we actually do care about him. And the same is true with our relationship with the Lord. If you want more understanding and more knowledge and more wisdom, it starts with obedience. It starts by trusting in the Lord and obeying him, even when we don't fully comprehend everything that's going on. So drinking milk for a season, it's fine, but just don't make it a staple in your life. That's the first application. The second is if you struggle with knowledge, the root problem may be a lack of obedience. That's the second application. Um, lastly, I have one more for you to think about. Um, and that's by understanding that only through practice can you ever produce maturity. Only through practice can you ever produce maturity. Uh, go back to verse 14 again where he says that solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So how do you distinguish good from evil? How do you train yourself to be able to partake in the solid foods of the Christian faith? Well, he says that it's only through being trained by constant practice. Only practice can produce maturity. It's only repetition that can result in righteousness. If you feel like you are still weak in your understanding of the Christian faith, milk's not actually the problem. The, the problem is what you do with that milk you have been given. You know, there may not be as much substance in milk as there is a full-sized steak, but there's still a lot of valuable, vital nutrients that are, you know, there's a lot of necessary protein that can be found in that milk. But you need to put that milk to work in order to build up muscle. Um, every day uh, when I look at my daughter, I see that her muscles have grown stronger. Right, she's able to hold herself up. She's able to roll around on the ground to, to get a toy that she wants. Um, every day she is getting closer and closer to crawling. Uh, and it's not going to be long before she is able to walk and even run. Uh, and I am terrified that that day is coming closer and closer when she is going to be getting into everything. Um, but what's clear is that she is putting every last drop of milk that she takes in, and she is putting it to use. She, she, her body is converting that milk so that it becomes muscle. So, so practice and repetition is how you go from being just a bottle-fed Christian on a diet of milk to be able to, to really flex your spiritual muscles. And just to give you some examples of this, um, I want you to think about the Bible for a moment. Uh, you know, there's much that the Bible speaks directly about, uh, but there's also much that it doesn't. You know, the Bible was written long before the founding of modern America, uh, long before the existence of much of the technology um, that we have at our disposal today. Um, so, so often, uh, the Bible isn't going to speak directly 
to the pressing decisions that you need to make personally in your life. And, and that's where the art of spiritual discernment comes in. You know, how do you discern what movies or television is appropriate for you to watch and which ones should be avoided? How do you discern uh, how much time is appropriate for you to spend on social media and checking Facebook? Uh, how do you discern whether or not it's right to send your children to public school or whether you should homeschool them? How do you discern when to discipline your children and when to, to give them grace? Spiritual maturity comes from diligently studying the principles of the Bible and using every opportunity that you have to put those principles into practice again and again so you can build up those muscles of your spiritual discernment. You need repeated repetition in order to build up a strong sense of spiritual muscle memory. Um, I love uh, something that the president of the seminary I attended, uh, Dr. Albert Moeller, I love what he said in a commentary that he wrote about this passage. Uh, he gave a great illustration of this idea that the author of Hebrews is uh, trying to convey. Dr. Moeller said, uh, just imagine a heart surgeon who has to stop and rethink cardiology in the middle of a surgery. Imagine how disastrous it would be if he needed to consult a textbook every time he entered the operating room. No one wants that kind of surgeon. We want surgeons who can use the intuition they have developed over years of dedicated practice. And this need for, for discernment applies not only to surgeons, but also to Christians. Uh, now, I want to make it very clear that neither Dr. Moeller nor myself are saying that you shouldn't ever consult your Bible. Uh, that's obviously not the point here. You know, you should be reading your Bible as often as is possible. Uh, but so often in the real world, uh, what Dr. Moeller is getting at is that you don't always have your Bible on hand. Or even if you did, you don't always have the time to consult it before the decision needs to be made. Or many times the Bible doesn't address this particular situation as directly as you might like. So you must know and understand the basic principles of the Bible and what it teaches so well that you have developed a strong sense of muscle memory. I, I think of it like this. You, you need to be like a professional basketball player. You know, when somebody passes them the ball, uh, they don't have time to fully analyze all of the details of the situation. They rely on that muscle memory. They rely on their reflexes to quickly shoot the ball into the basket, uh, and, and they're able to score those points for their team because they have practiced, uh, and they have made those same kinds of shots over and over and over again before. So, so now they don't even really need to think about it or give it a second thought. And the same should be true for every Christ follower. You know, you need that to, to intuitively know the Bible so well that without even giving it a second thought, you already know what it is going to tell you to do in a particular situation. You know, you need to be like that basketball player that can make that shot without even thinking. You need to be like that heart surgeon and just able to get to work without having to stop 
and consult the textbook every single step of the way. That's the kind of reflexive and intuitive spiritual discernment that we are commanded to develop. But it takes practice. It, it takes a lot of repetition and practice to produce that kind of spiritual maturity. So uh, to go back to what I said in the beginning, to talk about the strategies that the Bible gives us uh, to advance the mission of the church. You know, I said that we wanted to be a church that, it, that uh, knows, grows, and goes together. And for that, you know, for whatever reason, when you, when you think about that statement, um, it often seems that growing in particular um, often just takes a back seat uh, to those other strategies. You know, a lot of times we do a good job of going out into the world so that others might know about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Uh, but so often we struggle in helping others grow in their relationship with the Lord once they have submitted their lives to Christ. And there really are no silver bullets at the end of the day, when it comes you know, to the best way of growing in our relationship with Jesus and helping others grow. Uh, but I just want to leave you with one final thought as I wrap up. Uh, let me go back to the very beginning verse in our text uh, where the author of Hebrews writes, By this time uh, you ought to be teachers, yet you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. Uh, I just want you to remember that this passage was not written to pastors alone. Uh, this was a letter written to all Christians in general. So the author of Hebrews is saying that everyone ought to be a teacher. That, that doesn't mean that everyone ought to be a pastor. That doesn't mean everybody is going to be qualified to be a Sunday school teacher or to lead a Bible study. Uh, but every believer should be able to teach newer believers around them and, and instruct them better in the faith. So if we want to be a church that is growing in our spiritual maturity, and if we want a new generation of Christ followers to be spiritually mature, more so than in previous generations, well, then this has to be a congregational effort. Pastors alone uh, cannot grow the church. Pastors and deacons alone cannot grow the church. The entire church needs to take the responsibility of ministering to and, and helping one another grow and mature in the faith. So my prayer is that we would be a church that does just that. Let me pray. Father, um, we are so thankful uh, for the words that you have spoken to us. You know, we do pray, Father, that we would uh, just take them earnestly to heart. Uh, don't let us be a people whose faith is a mile wide, yet only an inch deep. Rather, Father, let us just be a church that seeks to discover uh, and feast on the deep truths of the faith. Father, we ask that you would just grow us in our knowledge and our understanding of you. And even more importantly, just grow us in our obedience to you as well. I ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.